Hi everybody, welcome to The Recall Show, episode one. One of the things that has uh, fascinated me is when you study language and culture, how the language you speak can actually impact the way you think. And so one of the examples is a lot of our romantic languages, um, their pronouns um, and their, um, their nouns are related to each other. And often a lot of times what you see is this sense of community and family, as opposed to this like individualistic idea that we have in the English language. Um, and then in some of your languages like Japanese, for example, when something breaks, the emphasis is on the item and not the person breaking it. Where in English, the emphasis is on the person breaking it, uh, the person themselves. And so in American culture, we're very, can be very self-centered. It's about the individual, individual growth, individual opportunity. But in other cultures, um, in Japan as an example, it's about the community. It's about the group. And the language emphasizes that when they speak. And so one of the things that I feel like isn't spoken about a lot is the languages Jesus has spoke, but in particular, when you speak those languages, um, how does it impact the way you think? And how does that impact culture? So we had to get a special guest who understood this <laughs> because I don't understand this. I can't even speak English. Um, so uh, you, you, you make it sound like we picked him up off the, <laughs> off the side of the street. Um, so we're very excited to introduce our guest today. Um, someone who has been in school forever, right? Like years and years. And still is. And so, yeah. <laughs> Um, and so we'll let him introduce himself, um, kind of his, his extensive background, but he has numerous degrees. He's well-decorated, um, which is very exciting. But can I just say this really interesting fact before you go into like what you did as a professor and everything? Um, I, it fascinates me that you were ordained by the Vatican to be an exorcist. <laughs> and I, you know, that is something that's really fascinating to me. Wait, how do I, how, how do I get that? That, that, that? that sounds so cool. Yeah. Okay, first we'll put it in context. If you've ever seen PhD, MA, BA, a line and a circle. And you know what that is? Three degrees above zero. Um, <laughs> truth is truth. And somebody with credentials inevitably has the temptation of placing the credential in front of truth. I said this, I'm qualified to say it, it's true. Not true. <laughs> so I'm leery of credentials, and I'm also very, uh, given uh, what I've learned of my ancestry uh, with the great hunger, I'm very, very leery of authority, credentials, uh, you know, high and mighty. So uh, at any rate, uh, what I have basically is a, uh, a master's degree in classics and one in philosophy. I have a, a church um, title of a licentiate in philosophy, which meant that I was able to struggle through an oral exam with uh, Jesuit professors. 
Uh, I, in order to, uh, like Paul, who uh, was he a rug maker, I think? Uh, he, he had, oh, tent maker, tent maker. Tent, tent rugs. <laughs> you know, it depends on how you hang them. But, <laughs> but at any rate, uh, it's in order to, uh, keep the floor under the dining room table, I went and got an MBA in accountancy, uh, about 98% mistake, but some of it worked out. <laughs> so. I get my taxes filed, which is... <laughs> uh. As far as what I've done, um, oddly enough, uh, in the last 10 years, the internet has enabled me to expand with the tools that I acquired uh, earlier and learn some of the uh, Hebrew scripture in the original and to learn quite a bit about how contemporary scholars such as uh, Israel Finkelstein uh, have come to understand the composition and compilation of Hebrew scripture. Uh, there's no such thing as history. There's an ongoing present, a narrow present today, but there's also a very broad present, and that's all the things that are uh, active in our experience today. Let me just say one thing about translation. It's like fruit. Mm -hmm. It goes bad in two weeks. Uh, <laughs> you, I love that. you have to stay in touch with the original because the original puts it in the context. Personal history, <clears throat> Jim Doran, uh, I was born in Brooklyn, in 1943, when I was a week old, I contracted a bacterial illness that was 70% fatal. Uh, needless to say, I was in the 30%, but it kept me from being touched, because, uh, very dangerous, kept me from being touched to speak of until I was six months old. As a result, apparently, for me, uh, music and talk was... How cl as close as I got to touch. So I've all my life I've loved uh, songs with stories, and I've been <clears throat> fascinated by uh, other languages. So before we continue this conversation, <laughs> I did not mention that I grew up with you. <laughs> um, this is my father. Growing up with my dad has, was very very challenging because he would quiz me on history so like i would get these questions of like he'd give me like an hour lecture me and my friends were like a cap we were like a, um, a hostage audience and then he would quiz us and i wasn't allowed to go outside and play until i could answer like all right can you tell me how many protons neutrons and electrons are you know in carbon or can you tell me like the, what date did the potato famine, blah, 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 blah. I mean, that was literally my childhood. And so I sit here and I didn't appreciate it at the time, but now I very much appreciate it. The reason we don't look alike is a lot of people ask, he looks nothing like you. It's because I was adopted um, from an orphanage in Romania. Um, so that's pretty fascinating uh, for people who, uh, that's a whole nother conversation. When when we were there adopting you, we stayed at, a, at an apartment, a woman friend of the attorney who was uh, go, doing the process, and her 
Wagnerian mother waddled in one day and looked at me and says, why are you, a blonde and a redhead, adopting that brunette? And she meant Tsigan, Gypsy. And uh, she said, he doesn't resemble you. She spoke Romanian. I had enough Romanian that I managed that. And I said, yeah, he certainly does resemble us. He's clever. I didn't, I didn't know I was a prophet. <laughs> <laughs> So Jim, thank you for sharing. So one of the one of the things that um, you mentioned that struck me as as someone who has come out of an evangelical background is that in my childhood I was taught about sola scriptura, this concept that um, life, all of life's mysteries can be answered through the scripture. That scripture alone is enough to guide your life. So what you just shared was that you know studying the original language of the text is really important because it illustrates the context in which it was written. Um, so I'd love to hear a little more about um, your your thoughts on this, maybe in the context of the popular belief of sola scriptura and how people walk uh, their life of faith. Uh, Chris, Chris will tell you it's never wise to ask me for a little more, but uh, you'll, <laughs> you'll, you'll get more than a little. Nice. Uh, there's two sides to that. On the one hand, um, what is Jesus about? Jesus is about responsive compassion. In Buddhism, you are instructed to allow things to be what they are. That is like a, a limit in calculus. It's unachievable, but it's a goal that you aim at. Uh, so uh, the, uh, the message of Jesus does communicate through the ages, and the message is pretty simple. Uh, love your neighbor requires you to take in to your heart, your neighbor in all of their thorny reality and feel compassion uh, for the neighbor. And that, I don't think, is um, context-sensitive as such. However, um, when it comes to any kind of uh, specific understanding, uh, if you don't go back to... um, the um, original uh, scripture, you don't know what soul meant for Jesus. And uh, it, uh, you know, it meant something in the context of that time. Uh, Not to get too far afield, but in Hebrew scripture, uh, the word that gets translated in the Septuagint as soul is nephesh. An, but a cow could be a nephesh. Mm-hmm. And a nephesh was something that breathed. Now, breath is the analog for all spiritual things. Right. Animus is Greek word for, for breeze, became anima. Uh, the word psuche was breathing. And so, and that became the Greek word for soul. So, 
to to understand what uh, was meant in the uh, scripture, we have to be there. And to get ourselves there, we have to certainly use uh, context-sensitive translation. Do you think the writers of scripture... I think about Paul, for example, we're jumping to New Testament now, but Paul obviously was heavily influenced by gr- Greek thought and philosophy at the time. Um, do would do you think Paul thought his letters were going to become scripture? No. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, we just answered at the same time. I was, <laughs> 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 yeah, because you talk about like the, that, the, the, you know, that just like you, I was taught that scripture is God breathed. And that every single word in scripture was as if it went from God's mouth into someone's um, consciousness and they wrote it through pen. But what, you know, scholars would argue and even scholars who, um, as I do, I'm not saying I'm a scholar, but just the same belief that, you know, I believe in Jesus. um, But I, most of these scholars are not saying that these are word for word God's words, but that there's an inspiration behind them. That's, that's, that's certainly uh, true. If you, if you look at the Hebrew scripture, it contradicts itself about every third paragraph. And uh, it's, uh, it, and the, the, the reason for that, in, at least in part, a uh, little background. Uh, in around 720 BC, the Assyrians destroyed the northern kingdom of Israel uh, centered around Samaria. And the farmers, the shepherds, they stayed there. But the people who could read and write were a danger to the Assyrians, and they fled to uh, Judea, to, to Jerusalem. In doing so, they, as it were, petitioned gradually came to be petitioning Josiah, hey, you know, you're, you're pretty strong. Can you bring Israel back to life again? And so you have in the scripture the memories and possibly some writings that, that the Israelite scribes brought with them to Judah, but you then have, wait a minute, guys, that gives the prominence to uh, Israel. No, prominence comes to Jerusalem. So there are generally two versions of many accounts in the Hebrew scripture. One is the uh, from the northern kingdom. One is from the, uh, or, or more than one sometimes, is from the uh, southern kingdom. So the idea that God made all these mistakes is not very appealing. Uh, what God inspired uh, them was spoken very much through Isaiah, Jeremiah, and others who told us how the Lord is our shepherd. And those uh, that kind of inspiration leads us to what I think is this, the message of Jesus in its simplest form, and that is to let everyone else be who they are themselves to you, which is impossible. You'll never get there. But as much as possible, you you work on that. You work on uh, feeling and understanding that. And then you do what's in your power. 
compassion, intelligent compassion. And in that sense, all of scripture is inspired. How we got all of the... Um, what we call it <laughs> the the cotton candy surrounding the stick I, I, is uh, is puzzling. What languages did Jesus speak? Okay, I am personally convinced, and I've had this corroborated in the strangest way in the last five years. Um, when I was in seminary with the uh, Jesuits. I, uh, the, the uh, assistant to the master of novices told us to go look for the real Semitic flavor of Matthew. And by that time, I was generally doing the uh, Christian scripture in uh, the Greek. So I looked at Matthew and I said, wait a minute, Matthew is getting stuff from Mark. Maybe I should look at Mark. I looked at Mark and I looked at the descent of the spirit. And I was astonished. The Spirit descended on Jesus, drove him into the desert among the wild animals to be tempted by the ultimate evil one. I said, that's a Platonic Greek context. The descent of the good to the material and, and how it dealt with it. So with that, then I became aware of John Dominic Crossan, who gave me the information that, that, that the account of the Baptist is one of the earliest uh, archaeological layers of Christian scripture. I then gradually acquired more uh, detail, and possibly the strongest of it is that Jesus did not just teach in uh, Judea-Palestrina. Jesus taught in the Decapolis. He taught up at Caesarea Philippi. Hey, what are you saying? We don't understand Aramaic. Okay, well, I'll do it in Greek. I believe that there's good chance that the portions of Matthew and Luke that give us the teaching of Jesus, some of that are the words he actually spoke. His, his context was... Uh, a Jewish Ale Alexandrian Judaism. And in that context, Judaism itself was headed in that direction until the uh, Christians became a separate group. And then Judaism reverted to the, uh, to the uh, time and context of the uh, Torah, the teaching. And uh, Christians have done a lot of um, uh, uh, distortion. Uh, the Torah is not the law. The Torah is the teaching. Right. Those are different things. And, uh, and that's why I, I, I have my difficulties with Paul. Is there evidence that his disciples spoke as many languages as Jesus did? Uh, some of them have Greek names, Philip and Andrew. Okay. So that's uh, that that's very distinct possibility. Also, there are people who insist on calling Jesus Yeshua mm -hmm. or Joshua. And um yes and no. Um there was a Jesus in um 150 BC among the um, Maccabees. So wow. <laughs> it's not it's not you know these things are what I would say is that 
this is the danger of projecting backwards from the present. Right. Now, in Josiah's time, the people telling their tales had to do that. They had no choice. We have a choice, and I think we should uh, use it with reasonable caution. So when we talk about the personality of Jesus, um, because he spoke more than one language, how did his languages that he spoke influence who he uh, is? Wow. Um, I've thought about that. I don't have a full answer. What I, what I would say is that um, what, who Jesus is is mostly the teaching in Matthew and Luke. And anything that uh, militates against seeing Jesus in terms of the teaching is false on the face of it. Now, the teaching in Matthew and Luke is pretty sophisticated. Uh, there are scholars who've noted that there are Greek rhetorical frames to some of the things that are said. Uh, there's a lot of deep thought. There's a lot of, uh, in the parables, uh, you find uh, references that are, are those of someone who is um, not so much educated as uh, very thought-filled, and thought-filled in the context that, that he lived in. So that to call Jesus a peasant, to make him uh, uh, limit him to uh, Aramaic language and context is just plain silly. Uh, it, it's it's just not true. Uh, one reason for not limiting him to an Aramaic context is because they didn't have customs posts in uh, Palestine in that day. People wandered back and forth across the... Like Paul, you, you see him... Paul must have been running most of his life to get as far... to do as, have as much travel as he's recorded to have. And uh, But the borders didn't stop him. They didn't stop the ideas. They didn't stop the languages. So the idea that um, Jesus was uh, anything but... Uh, fairly sophisticated and fairly competent in at least two languages, I think is just silly. I think that's really important. And it's something that I'm learning from right now, because growing up in my tradition, even in seminary, I feel like a lot of times we are encouraged to think about Jesus as the foundational sort of, you know, the, the, the spring from which Christianity comes forth from. And then from there, Talk about the conflict between, you know, the uh, Hellenistic sort of flavors of Christianity versus the Church of Israel, Church of Jerusalem, right? <laughs> and that's when we start talking about the differences. But what you're sort of suggesting and something that's really opening me up is that what if that lived in Jesus in the first place, right? And, and both of those cultures lived in Jesus. I think that that's really fascinating for me. They, they lived as cultures and not as uh, theology. Mm. Theology, I have a friend who uh, wants to know what will happen in the next life. I tell him, love now. It's above your pay grade. <laughs> You're wasting your time. You're, you could be uh, making yourself happier by 
you know, the, the, there are people, uh, you know, that uh, America has um, a larger percentage of homeless people than China. China is very strict with them. There are, you know, you can't, there are things you can't do that some here would think were infringing on freedoms, but we let people die in the streets. Forget about uh, the next life. There's something to do here. You've got to reach out to the person that is suffering, and that's it. You, you stop there and leave the rest to the Lord. When you talk about, um, about, scripture and and um, language are there any scriptures you can think of that you believe that the church has misquoted when it translated to english um there there is the account of the woman with the hemorrhage and some churches are um too theological uh theology as thomas aquinas pointed out is a bunch of straw to be thrown in the fire. Uh, it has nothing to do with pistis, faith, which is trusting Jesus that his word is good. There you, you stop at that point. You go, you, the, the speculations are utterly idle. In this case, uh, when Jesus is uh, confronted with the woman who has a hemorrhage, it's a wonderful story. Uh, he's in a big crowd. He's just come back from across the Jordan, where where he gave the swine permission, uh, gave the demons permission to invade the swine. Hey, you didn't have swine in Palestine, duh. <laughs> he was if he spoke Aramaic, even the swine wouldn't have understood or the demons. But he's he, he's speaking he, he he's portrayed as speaking Greek. I have no question about that. So he comes back and there's a big crowd. They were all swirling around him, and a woman comes up behind him and grabs the end of his cloak and and hops in my if I just grab the end of his cloak. He says, who touched me? I just felt power go out from me. The Council of Nicaea would have problem with that. <laughs> he was God. He knew everything. Why did he ask that question? I think because he was God ontologically. That is to say that the ground of being, that there are ontological realities. God cannot be other than intelligently compassionate. That's <laughs> that's the deal. So I think that, uh, and if, if any translate it because of theological concerns, uh, I don't know. Rip out those pages from the theology book and burn them. <laughs> so what order of Catholicism were you trained in? Uh, the Jesuits. Can you expand on who founded? I, I love this man. Yeah. The founder of the Jesuits. Can you kind of talk about him for a second? Um. Like all good saints, uh, he got a head start by being a sinner, and a, a very vigorous sinner at that. <laughs> <laughs> then he um, he was in a battle where he got hit in the leg with a cannonball, and they carried him off to be um, 
to, to recuperate in a in a castle. His his name was Inigo uh, de Lola. He was Basque rather than Spanish. He spoke he spoke Spanish. He wrote in Spanish, but uh, he was uh, Basque. But uh, he uh, unfortunately, uh, you know, once they put the saint up in plaster or stone, it kind of gets limited and constrained. And that's what happened to uh, Inigo in, in the Jesuits. Instead of, when, when I was in the seminary, the, uh, we had a, a month of retreat based on writings of his. And his writings said, you take the gospel and you put yourself into that picture. Did we get that? No, we got all this utter nonsense about serving the king. And <laughs> one of the, I actually um, when when I talk about like my trauma, I went through. It was a um, a pastor who did those exercises with me, and the one exercise we did was um, Jesus washing the feet. So it was I want you to picture Jesus washing your feet. What are the sounds? What are the smells? What are you feeling right now as Jesus is washing your feet? It's a really powerful thing to yes, do. Yes. And it's so crazy how people try to, something so simple of just put yourself in the place of what's happening turns right. into this like, all right, now we need to think of the motivational power of <laughs> scripture in context to X, Y, and Z as according to the Latin and the blah, blah, blah. Um, how about evangelium? You can't add to it. Our conversations that we're going to be having and have been having are about trauma and healing from trauma. Um, when we talk about how religion often gets it wrong, and because they get it wrong, they hurt a lot of people. They're human. The Bereshit, Bereshit 3, uh, Genesis 3, tells us that what humans do is miss the mark. Always. <laughs> How do we fight or combat a way of, you talked about they put the, the saints in stone and they become these like rigid uh, theologians. Yeah, I like that. How do we combat the, the present day of that? We talk about the Acts 29 network, Mark Driscoll, Rabbi Zachariah, um, the pastors at Hillsong, where they become elevated on pedestals. You know, I, I heard someone say once, which I thought was really brilliantly said, when a pastor leaves a congregation and then they say, oh, the congregation's going to fail because the pastor left, you know they were there for the wrong reason. When someone goes to a congregation because of the pastor, the, the focus is not on the right place. Obviously, a pastor is important. I'm not saying it's not, but... I find a lot of times, especially in the evangelical world, there's this push, and maybe in Catholicism with even like Padre Pio, I see this a lot. Um, there's like this emphasis of you're greater than God. Um, how do we combat that? How do we combat idolatry? Um, we combat idolatry um, the way Jesus tells us. Um, stop thinking and love. Love your neighbor, and you'll realize what the truth is. It's really that simple. And love is, um, you know, letting your neighbor be who he or she is. And it's an enormous, and 
it's an impossible task, but it's a, it's a wonderful direction to aim in. And that's a wrap for episode one. Thanks for tuning in and joining us on our journey. Special thanks to our guest today, Professor Jim Doran, and to all our friends and family that have been so incredibly supportive and bold and encouraging along the way. The music from today's episode was performed by Loving Caliber, Candlelion, Gamma Skies, and Comas Fenson. This podcast is intentionally non-affiliated with any official or non-official religious institution, as it is Chris and my mission to find healing both for ourselves and for our friends by being surprised and reinvigorated through diverse expressions of God and the Christian faith. So make sure to take a moment to rate, like, subscribe from wherever you're tuning in. And finally, if today's episode made you feel something, anything, or if you'd like to continue to chat about this, or if you just want to pop in and say hi, you can reach out to us at recalledshow at gmail.com. That's R-E-C-A-L-L-E-D show at gmail.com. Until next time.